Well, good morning and welcome to another episode of the Unshakable Podcast. My name is Sam and I am your podcast host. The Unshakable Podcast is an extension of Unshakable Ministries where our goal is to educate, equip, encourage, and empower Christ followers to live the life that Christ expects us to live. Ways that you can find us on social media, if you will go over to Facebook and search Unshakable Podcast, you will find us there. On Instagram, our username is unshakable underscore podcast. And on Twitter, our username is unshakable underscore one. That is the numerical value one. Ways that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation if you are listening this morning. Welcome to the Unshakable Nation. We are thankful that you have decided to pick up an episode and listen to it. We hope that you gather some things from this that you can apply to your life. And we just want to welcome you in other ways that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation. If you will check your show notes right there in your podcast app, you will see links to ways that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation. The most important way, as we always say, is we covet your prayers. This is the greatest way you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation is just to lift us up. Pray that we would continue to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that we would join God where he is already at work, impacting the world one life at a time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For feedback, questions, comments, topics, anything you want to throw at me, send that over to sam at unshakableministries.com. Well, guys, we're excited. We have been going through a little bit of a transition over the last few weeks. We ran into some technical issues with our previous podcast host, and through much research and some back-end work, we have finally gotten our podcast moved over to our new hosting site, which is anchor.fm, which is now by Spotify. We are thankful for this transition. It seems to have been pretty seamless there for a little while. I was afraid that we were going to lose all backlogged episodes, but it appears that that did not happen, and we are thankful for that. And also, in supporting the show, there are ways that you can support the show. Uh, We do have a link in the show notes, but just wanted to share with you on this uh, new podcast host, Anchor.fm. You can actually go to Anchor.fm forward slash Unshakable Podcast. This is our public podcast site, and you can give right there on that site versus having to come up with some other way to do it. And this just makes things so seamless and so easy to do. And we also just want to continue to thank those who continue to give in support of the show, helping us grow this ministry and extend this ministry to reach more and more people. I want to start this morning, first of all, just by apologizing. I know I probably sound a little nasally this morning. Unfortunately, as the trees drop the pollen, my nose picks it up, and therefore my allergies are kicking and have been so for the last several days. So I apologize in advance for that. But hopefully... You can stick with me through this. Maybe you can bear the nasally sound of my voice and we can get through what we want to talk about this morning. As you know, if you have been listening for any amount of time, we have gone through this series of God and government and discussing Romans 13 and then last week's episode, More God and Government. And, you know, there are a lot of people that question, why do you keep harping on this? And I think it is important that we continue to harp on this 
so that we begin to gather context from Scripture. As as you will hear me constantly say, here on this podcast, I understand, and I've said this multiple times, that a lot of the things we say are controversial. And I said this last week, I do believe they are controversial, and it is not in an attempt to be controversial. It's just the fact that Scripture and the truth and context of Scripture are controversial by nature. I mean, when you think about the life of an unbeliever, when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a controversy, there's a conflict that goes on inside this person. I mean, think back to the days that you were still unsaved, and when you were hearing the gospel and you were hearing this conviction There was this internal battle that was going on because the truth was being told to you. And the thing about it is we have to remember that Satan is fighting for our souls. He is fighting tooth and nail for the souls of the lost. And when the truth of Scripture comes in, when the truth of God comes in, and we hear the story of Jesus Christ, there's this natural conflict, controversy that goes on inside this person. So that's just naturally what's going to happen when the true context of Scripture is brought to the surface. We begin to see this conflict and this controversy arise. But as I've said multiple times before, what I find fascinating in all of this is that when I bring some context from Scripture, and and I I have tried to share with you guys here on this podcast that the truth that I bring and the context that I bring is going to be based on keyword studies. I I love to look at keywords. I love to break it down and really look at what the words are being used in the original languages. And that being said, I want to clarify something from last week's episode. And and I said that diakonos was a Hebrew word. I meant it was a Greek word. I just want to clarify that, um, that diakonos was the Greek word for servant, not Hebrew word. So I just want to clarify that. Um, just got excited and just ran right through and just wasn't thinking clearly. But anyway, but going back to keyword studies, I think it is imperative to do keyword studies in order to understand the true context and undertones of what these verses say in Scripture. And that's what I love to do. And when I do this, I find so much more truth to be uncovered in that versus what I have always been taught going to church and being a part of the church for so many years, it is amazing to me that when we sit down ourselves, it's it's crazy how God works through us uniquely as individuals and that we are not all just pre-programmed robots that all should believe the same way. And, and I've discussed this before here on the podcast is what might be a conviction for you today is not someone else's conviction. And we've discussed that in detail but a perfect example of that is, is, you know, some people in their faith journey believe that they should abstain from alcohol and that it is wrong for them to partake at, at, at all. And for them, that's their conviction. And that is their truth in that moment. That is how the Spirit is dealing with them. However, there are some who believe that in grace they can partake in having a drink, just not being drunk. And they're not wrong either. And we have to understand that that God works uniquely in us as individuals to deal with us along the journey. 
and we have to respect each other's positions in that journey. However, the problem with a lot of this is, is a lot of it is being taught as being a conviction, a universal conviction. It is a universal part of a Christian's journey that they should do this and not do this. And that is a little bit about what I want to talk about this morning. As I see a lot of things going on and as I study myself, what I study is completely different than what I have been taught in the church and how the church should apply certain things and how we as individuals should apply certain things. And as I said, a lot of times the church uses this universal method that if they teach it, then it's universally applicable to every Christian. And that is not the case. And some of what they teach just absolutely is false in nature. So what we're going to talk about today is the word of indoctrination and what this looks like. And and this is going to go along with the series of false hope as we begin to talk about that. And, and some of what I shared last week can go, can be tied to false hope, how the church is teaching false hope and giving both believers and unbelievers false hope in certain things. But I really want to talk about the word indoctrination. Nine times out of 10, the word indoctrination is applied to our public education system uh, by the church. And what the church doesn't realize is they too can participate in indoctrination. So let's look at the word indoctrination and see exactly what that word means. So indoctrination is to be teaching a one-sided perspective and encouraging belief without questioning it. So they teach you how you're supposed to think without being able to think for yourself. It's you think the way that we think, you believe the way that we believe, and that's the way that it is, and you don't question that. And that is something that I completely disagree with. The And, and you know, here's... I'll give you a perfect example is, um, I don't know, I, I don't keep up with this stuff, but just happened to catch a little bit of the interview with Meghan Markle and uh, Prince Harry, right? So just watching a little bit of this interview, there were some things that Prince Harry said that just were very uh, eye-opening to me and evident to show exactly how indoctrination happens from his perspective. You know, as a child raised up in a earthly royal family, he was raised to believe a certain way, that he had to act a certain way, that he had to do certain things, and he could never question those things. But to see him on the outside now that he has basically left the royal family, he's now living here in the United States with his wife, he chose his wife over his family and over his, um, uh, what do you, his, his um, rights as an heir, he, he gave all of that up for his wife and his family. And I absolutely commend him for that, that he was willing to stand up to the hierarchy and this indoctrination and be a self-thinker and say, you know what, I don't believe that. I believe that my wife is more important, my family is more important than all of this stuff. And he was willing to give it up. But he he talked about how they were they're trapped in this system it's this it's this never ending system where they get trapped inside of it and they're taught how to act how to think and and 
how they, what everything that they should do and things that they should say and what they cannot say, what they cannot do. And it's really crazy to me that this was, I mean, it, it hit the nail on the head with what we're talking about this morning, that this is exactly how the church participates in indoctrination. The church says, you must think this way, act this way, say this, you can't say this, you can't do that. It's this long list of rules and it never allows room for an individual Christian to be able to think for themselves. So there's, I mean, a perfect example is this, there's this promise, you know, in many churches today, many churches, many denominations still teach the principle of tithing, which I've talked about here on the podcast before, but in within this teaching, there's a promise attached to this principle. They make this false promise that if you do this, God will do this. And they pull that from Malachi chapter 3, not understanding that Malachi chapter 3 was specifically talking to the children of Israel. It wasn't an applicable principle to all of people for all of time, but yet they teach it that way. And if you begin to try to question that or challenge that, they tell you that you're wrong. And, and I'm going to get into here in a few minutes why I believe that that is, how we have gone so far left as to f- uh, fall victim to indoctrination. But I just wanted to point out some things, right? When we talk about indoctrination, within that, you have to look that within many cults, that's exactly the way that it goes. It's It's indoctrination. Right. If you become a part of a cult, there's, you know, cult leaders, they teach a certain way, teach you what to believe, and people fall victim to that. And I wanted to bring some very prominent, and this, the, the list is long for cult leaders, but I wanted to bring some very prominent cult leaders to your attention today and exactly what happened and how the people were indoctrinated with these cult leaders. So, Many of you probably remember Jim Jones. He claimed to be a prophet, but Jim Jones was the one that had convinced 900 people to kill themselves. And they they mixed in poison with their Kool-Aid. And this is where the term was coined, don't drink the Kool-Aid. So I guess part of my challenge to you today would be don't drink the Kool-Aid be a self-thinker, be willing to step outside of what someone is always telling you. Stop believing that everything they say is correct and lines up with the truth and context of scripture. Question those things, research it for yourself. This is why it's important for each individual Christian to study for themselves, not read the Bible, study the Bible, doing keyword studies. I said this multiple times. This is where it's critical because you're going to be held accountable to what you believe. You're going to be held accountable to those you allowed yourself to become subject to. So that brings a whole nother level of accountability to you for you to be willing and motivated and passionate about being hungry and thirsty for truth and going after it by picking up the Bible and studying uh, via key word. But Jim Jones, we remember Jim Jones. Most of us do. Charles Manson was another one. He convinced his followers that he was Jesus and led them into a murderous campaign. Now, how you you sit and you say, well, how is that possible? 
Well, I sit and I say, well, how are a lot of things possible that are going on in the church today? How is it possible that many Christians believe some of the things that they believe that the church is teaching? And I will tell you, it's because they're not self-educated. That is just the way that I feel. They're not, they don't pick up and study themselves, as I said, and I'm going to continue to say that over and over. I don't know if you remember Marshall Apple, Applewhite. He was also a self-proclaimed prophet. And he also led his followers to a mass suicide. And then I want to look at some others, right? So those are what we would call secular cults. Because many wouldn't believe that, you know, Jim Jones was a prophet. And many know Charles Manson as a murderer, not realizing that he actually claimed to be Jesus Christ. And then Marshall Applewhite was a self-proclaimed prophet. But then here's the crazy thing. When you start diving off into other aspects. Let's get into the church itself and let's look at the institution of church and see how some of this stuff is still applicable. Look at the Mormon church. The Mormon church was founded by a self-proclaimed prophet, Joseph Smith. Now, isn't it crazy that when you go back to scripture and you read in Hebrews, it clearly tells us that Jesus was the final revelation to man, period. But here comes this self-proclaimed prophet, Joseph Smith, who comes in and contradicts exactly what Hebrews tells us and tells us, and he, he tells people that God has given him a word in addition to. Well, and how is that possible? If we believe that the Bible is inerrant, if we believe the Bible is God-breathed and inspired by God, then how can we also believe that it contradicts itself? How can we believe that, you know, this guy comes along and we're supposed to believe all of this stuff in there except for this one verse or these two verses that tell us that Jesus was the final revelation of God to man? Isn't that interesting that it says that in in those days God spoke to man through the prophets, but in these days he has spoken to us through Jesus Christ? So Jesus Christ is the final revelation, but here we have a self-proclaimed prophet. And he's created a church. He's created a massive movement behind him, people who believe him. He has indoctrinated them to believe that he was, in fact, a prophet of God. And added to the scriptures, I might add, Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, when we look at that, you know, on the surface, it's like, oh, that's good. They get out and they actually witness and all this, that, and the other. But here's the crazy thing. Remember when I was just talking about Prince Harry and how he was raised in in a in an environment where he could not be a self-thinker. And basically, he couldn't criticize the institution. Well, look at the Jehovah's Witnesses. And let's let's just look very clearly. Now, this information I pulled directly from their websites, gathering information from them and what they say. No member of the Jehovah's Witness may criticize or question their doctrines. No member may criticize or question their doctrines. Expulsion is the result of questioning or of privately promoting teachings contrary to their doctrine. They do not believe in the Trinitarian God either. They believe Christ is a created being. And they have created a massive movement, and this is what they teach. And if you question or criticize what they teach, you're expelled from the congregation. 
Baptist. Now, understand, I've spent most of my life in the Baptist denomination, which probably gives me a lot of insight as to a lot of the things the Baptists teach. So when we look at the Baptists, Baptists believe and teach the principle of tithing as being relevant and required of a believer. The principle of tithing as being relevant and required. They make promises that tithes will be, be rewarded both financially and spiritually. Now you can go pull all this information up yourself on the internet, on their websites, and you'll see what their statements are. But they make these bold promises of both spiritual and financial rewards based on the principle of tithing. Now, how do they do that? As I said a moment ago, they go back to Malachi chapter 3, and this is where I believe Scripture begins to be taken completely out of context, is because they don't understand or they don't teach or they don't care to know that Malachi was God having a conversation with the children of Israel. God was not giving us a universal application to the church. Remember, I've said this before, there is an old covenant and there is a new covenant. Old covenant was with the children of Israel. New covenant is with the church through Jesus Christ. So I encourage you to go check that out. Go read and study that yourself. All right, so when you look at the Baptist and this doctrine that they teach, this doctrine of tithing, principle of tithing, the problem is, is it creates an environment of coercion and guilt. Well, if you go into the New Testament, we understand that we are not to give under coercion and that guilt is not of God. So how can they create an environment through their teaching and their doctrine that goes against what the New Testament tells us, that guilt is not of God, shame is not of God, and also creating an environment of coercion. I mean, it's it's something that's constantly talked about. Now, I know the Baptists aren't the only ones that teach the principle of tithing. I'm just telling you from a perspective of being in those congregations and hearing how many times they teach it over and over and over again. And they constantly do it through guilt and coercion. But Paul is clear that we are to be cheerful givers, not to give under coercion. I mean, that's what he says. So how do we take the principle of tithing and use it to coerce and or guilt people into giving and call it a biblical doctrine? How is that done? And the other crazy thing about it is, is they teach that it must be given to the church. Your tithe must be given to the church. Now, come on. You honestly are going to stand in a pulpit and teach that this, first of all, false teaching of the tithing principle. And then you're going to stand and say that that tithe must be given to the church. Why? What is your justification according to Scripture that this tithe must be given to the church? Now you say, well, uh, and this is the answer I get all the time, is, well, you know, the church is the body that God has established here in this community, and we're more capable of, of reaching and, and serving the community as, as a whole than you are as an individual. Okay. Really? So you're telling me that if the Holy Spirit is leading me to give to an individual that that is wrong? 
that I shouldn't give to that individual, that I should come to the church and give it to the church and trust that the church is going to do it. When the church has a massive budget for whatever reason, their power bill, their their lights, their technology, whatever, whatever their cost is, you're more equipped to serve the community than I am because you're what, a bigger entity? Which means your budget is a lot bigger than mine is. And how can I guarantee that if I come to you, and I'm just going to use an example here, God lays on my heart to give an individual family $200. How could I be sure that if I feel like God has laid that on my heart to give to that family, how can I be sure that if I come and bring that $200 to the church, that that $200 is going to go to the family that I feel like God was calling me to give it to? Now, here's the crazy thing about that. They then turn to this principle of tithes and offering. Well, you can give that to that family, but then you still also have to bring your tithes to the church. (laughs) What? That's not what the Scripture teaches. That's not what the Scripture teaches at all. As a matter of fact, when you go back to Jesus, Jesus clearly tells us not to let the left hand know what our right hand is doing, which means it's none of the church's business what I am doing with my money as long as I'm giving. If you want to talk about the principle of giving, fine. Let's talk about the principle of giving because there are cases in Scripture where Jesus calls us to give 200%. You know, and, and some would say, well, that's financially impossible. Well, it's it's not all financial. That's the crazy thing. Because the church is so bent on the fact that it's monetary. But Jesus very clearly gives us a principle when he says, if someone comes and asks you for your cloak, you know, give them this also. If someone comes and says, hey, go with me one mile, go with them a second mile. So it's it's giving over and, and above. But the church is sitting here telling you that, you know, that's your offerings to give to this family. But your tithe, you, you, you got to bring the tithe to the church. No, I don't. That is a false teaching. And you are presenting that as fact, as truth. And then you are attaching a false hope through a promise that God is going to bless someone financially when they do this, when they're obedient. And I love how they say that as if you're being disobedient when you don't bring your money to the church. My money goes where God tells me to put my money. My money doesn't go where some man in a pulpit tells me it should go. And again, I'm going to get into that in just a few minutes. So let's move on from the Baptist and you dive into the Assemblies of God. So the Assemblies of God, and this is taken directly from their websites now. They believe and teach the initial physical evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Let me read that again. They believe and teach the initial physical evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Hey, I got news for you. There are a lot of people out there who trust in Christ that don't speak in tongues. So what's the problem with this doctrine? The problem with this doctrine is it creates doubt in someone's salvation. Now, should I ever doubt my salvation? If I know I'm doing what God is calling me to do, 
if I know I am serving God, if I know that I trust Christ came and he died on that cross for my sin and I have repented of my sin, do I not believe what Romans chapter 10 says? Because I don't speak in tongues? So it's taking a few verses of Scripture and it's taking them completely out of context and not remembering that tongues is only a gift of the Spirit. It's not the gift of the Spirit. It is not a higher gift of the Spirit. It is one of the gifts of the Spirit. Now I'm going to tell you from my own perspective, and one of the things that led me to never go back and attend an assembly of God or a uh, Pentecostal believing church is because they both believe pretty much the same. They teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit is shown by speaking in tongues. I can remember as a 10-year-old child standing in a Pentecostal church, um, as that's that's what my mother went to um, as we were growing up. And I can remember standing up front with a lot of people. And, um, it, you know, at the it was toward the end of the message and the pastor invited people to come up who wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, back then I didn't truly understand what that meant other than, you know, um, you know, I was going to, I was going to get the Holy Spirit and that this was evidence of salvation. Well, I can remember going to the front of that church and standing there and there were several people there and the pastor was going down the line and he was anointing their heads with oil and basically, in a nutshell, commanding that they begin to speak in tongues. And it never happened for me. It it never happened for me. I never spoke in tongues. I've never spoken in tongues. And I can remember this pastor telling me that I should question my salvation if I wasn't speaking in tongues. Seriously. Like, are you kidding me right now? And I can remember May 12th, 1985, I was nine years old. I remember exactly where I was, which church I was in, what I was doing at the time, March 12th, 1985, when I accepted Christ into my heart. It was the first time in my life that I truly understood the gospel. I truly understood my depravity. I truly understood the cost that Christ paid for me. And on that day, I got saved. Now, this was a little over a year later. Actually, it was almost two years later that this pastor stands and tells me that I should question my salvation. Now, that's not right. No one should ever doubt their salvation. Now, should they examine themselves? Absolutely. Scripture teaches that, that we should examine ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith. But we should never doubt our salvation. We should never doubt what Christ has done for us and our faith in what Christ has done for us. Now, where does this come from? Where does, where does you know, I go back to the word indoctrination. And the other word that I want to make very um, important in your mind today is cult, indoctrination and cult. Now, many people think of cults as being only something that satanic people do 
Well, I've clearly pointed out a couple here. Jim Jones uh, was a self-proclaimed prophet of Jesus. Marshall Applewhite was a self-proclaimed prophet of Jesus. The Mormon Church, Joseph Smith, a self-proclaimed prophet sent by God. Well, these obviously aren't people performing satanic worship. So what happens in the church today? Could, could the institutional church be called a cult because they have indoctrinated their people to believe one, a one-sided perspective and teaching them to believe it without questioning it? Well, that's what we see going on in churches today. There are no self-thinkers, and, and I talked about one of those indoctrinations last week with God and government and how that looks and how the church has taught people Blind subjection to the government, blind, blind obedience to the government. And we talked about how that doesn't apply, and we talked about the governing authorities and who they really are. But how does all of this happen? If you were to go out today and do a Google search, let's just say that you're Pentecostal or you're Assembly of God or you're Baptist or you're Presbyterian, you know, that's a whole different side of things that Presbyterians are teaching people predestination. And people believe it without ever questioning it. And predestination, I mean, in other words, God pre-programmed everything, every choice that you make, everything that every event that is going to happen. This is what they teach. But you can go out and you can do a quick Google search on these denominations and how you can become a minister or a pastor within these congregations. Do you realize that there are seminaries for each of these denominations, for the Assemblies of God, for the Pentecostals, for the Baptists, for the Presbyterians, for the Catholics? Like, it goes on. It's infinite. Like, it, it goes on and on and on. So where does this indoctrination come from? It comes from... People higher up who have created these seminaries and now are who are indoctrinating pastors to be or ministers to be who then bring that indoctrination to their churches and are indoctrinating their parishioners. And it is a vicious cycle that continues on and on and on and people just blindly follow. So it's a cult. It becomes a cult. Now, I know a lot of people will disagree with me, but if you go back and you look at the word indoctrination and how people blindly follow, and that's what they teach to, without questioning, and then you go and you look at some of the cults like your Jim Jones and your Marshall Applewhite, and then you start digging into the church, you see examples of cultish activity. So what I'm calling us to do is to be unique, individual self-thinkers. Challenge yourself to go to Scripture, to do keyword studies, to understand truth in context. Don't believe what you are taught from the pulpit without going back to Scripture and tying it to Scripture. And if something just doesn't sit right with you, go to Scripture challenge. I've, I, this is one thing I've said over the last few episodes is when do we 
get to challenge the giant of the institutional church who continues to operate without accountability. They think that only the parishioners need accountability, and I'm telling you that church leaders need accountability to what they are teaching. It is false teaching, and it provides false hope built on false promises that are not of Christ. Now, I am not calling people to walk away from their congregations or their churches. I believe it is imperative that we continue to gather and we continue to worship as a body of Christ. I believe that is how we grow. But what I'm calling for is a great revival. I am calling for the church to change what it's doing. I am calling for the church to step away from this indoctrination and their cultish-like tendencies. I'm asking people to stand up and challenge this based on Scripture. We're talking about the bride of Christ. And you have heard me talk a little bit about this in the series, The Harlot Church. But right now, I want to encourage you to go to Scripture, study, pray how God can use you to start a revolution in the church. How can God use you to bring about great revival that is truly Spirit-led, truly based on the foundation and context of Scripture? How can we draw people closer to Christ and away from this world? We are in it, but we are not of it. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your truth. God, we pray that through your spirit, you will reveal to us the truth. Let us not just blindly take what someone tells us is truth. Let us search for the truth ourselves. You tell us if we seek We will find if we knock, it will be open. So God, today we seek truth. We knock on the door to truth and pray, God, that you reveal it to us. Christ, give us grace in this time. We thank you for your sacrifice, what you have done for us and what you continue to do for us as an intercessor. We thank you for the blood that you shed to pay the cost of our sin. Spirit, lead us and guide us in all things. Teach us to be immovable. Teach us to be unshakable. And we will give you the glory, you the honor, and you the praise in Christ's name. Hey guys, I love you. And until next time, remain unshakable.